0: Thank you so very much for downloading the show. My friend, we are living in a chaotic and distressing time right now. And we, as an organization, felt it would be inappropriate to simply ignore our communities, our friends, and our neighbors who are hurting so desperately. And so we begin today's show with a statement from Dr. Neil Barnard.
1: These are, sadly, not unusual times. Racism is a scourge that is recurrent, continual, and we need to deal with it. With that in mind, I wanted to quote some comments from a great leader, and that's Borough President Eric Adams. He's the Borough President of uh, the Borough of Brooklyn. And on May 30th, he uh, wrote the following. Last night when I walked from Borough Hall to the heart of the protests in Brooklyn over the murder of George Floyd, I reflected on the pain I felt for him, and it's a pain that we felt again and again over the years as we watched countless Black people across the country fall victim to police abuse. Earlier that very same day, Borough President Adams joined the Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez and me in a special program that was trying to deal with another scourge and that's diabetes, taking a terrible toll in indigenous people. And Girl President Adams was there that very morning. And if you don't mind, I'd like to quote to you what he said that morning. He said that what is at issue is more than just an eating habit, it's regaining our rightful place as people who understood the land and ate from the land, people who appreciated nature and understood the human connection we had. It's about regaining our right. We were fed food that destroyed us and who we are and took away the dignity that came from being healthy, intelligent people. Now it's time, I believe, and these are President Adams' words, now is the time, I believe, to regain our rightful place of being connected with nature, connected with our health. We should not be living with diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, and all the chronic diseases that are running rampant through our society. That should not be the legacy for our children. Let's regain our right to be healthy and to raise healthy children and families in the process. And I want to say as a physician, it was a wonderful thing for me to hear Bureau President Adams join with Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez and me and others to call for an end to genocide in all its forms. And so if I may, I'd like to share with you just a final thought. We and many others have issued statements to show our solidarity regarding the recent events. A statement of solidarity is not enough. The death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police on May 25th was more than an atrocity. It was proof that that the continuing nearly identical scenarios of black men murdered by police officers continues unabated. And more broadly, it highlighted the fact that racism is endemic in our culture and it takes an ever greater toll. Racism cannot be cured. It doesn't go away. It can only be counteracted. Racism is a stench that exudes from human pores and it needs to be washed away every single day. And it takes every imaginable form. And our job as doctors and as human beings is to remove the stench of racism and in the damage that it's caused and to restore dignity to make the very best of health available to everyone. Thank you very much. <laughs>
0: Today, we are going to revisit two very powerful conversations that we've had on the exam room. Because the goal is to share with you information on the health disparities that exist in this country. And so we will be doing our best to shine light on those inequities so that hopefully, in time, our wounds may heal together and that which was once ripped apart may now be bonded together in unity, healthfully, as we move forward. Today, we are going to hear from Tracy McWhorter, author of Ageless Vegan, who so eloquently explains the challenges facing the African American community, both from a nutrition and socioeconomic standpoint. With millions lacking access to high-quality, nutritious foods, the rate of obesity among African Americans is higher than any other race. And so we also see a disproportionate rate of diabetes, of high blood pressure and heart disease, and more recently, cases of COVID-19. So what can be done about that? To understand we must also look to the past and to history. And many may be surprised to learn of the rich history of the African-American community and plant-based diets. And after we speak with Tracy, we are going to hear from a man who has transformed his life, taken charge of his health, and overcome those obstacles to rise to the top of his profession. And now he is the president of the Borough of Brooklyn. Eric Adams, a remarkable man who is the pillar of hope and inspiration that one may rise up to lead the life they were destined to lead, no matter how many challenges life has thrown their way. This is also an African-American man who rose through the ranks of the police department and despite this macho environment, never wavered on his commitment to his own health and his diet. Today, he is using his story as a helping hand for others so that they too may be successful in their journey to a healthier life. But we start... With Tracy McWhorter, an important conversation and increasing inspiration. As we continue here on the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, I'm really excited about this next segment. It is one that I've really wanted to do for a very, very long time. And now I feel like I have found the perfect guest to bring all of this to the forefront. It is indeed a very, very important issue, one that does not get discussed nearly enough. And so with that, we welcome to the program a public health nutritionist, an author, and a friend of mine, I will say, Tracy McWhorter. Welcome to the exam room.
2: Thank you, Chuck. It's great to be here.
0: You are embarking on a campaign called 10,000 Black Vegan Women. Talk to us a little bit about what this program is.
2: Yeah. So 10,000 Black Vegan Women is a movement. It's a program that I came up with to celebrate the 10th anniversary of my first book, which is called By Any Greens Necessary. And that was the... And that was the first vegan diet book for black women that came out in 2010 um, and helped thousands of of folks go vegan um, over the last decade, which I'm really proud about. And so for the 10th anniversary, I wanted to commemorate that and do something even bigger. And so um, I came up with the idea of helping 10,000 black women go vegan in one year, something big and bold and necessary. Um, And so that's really how this came about. And um, if folks are interested in going vegan and finding out more about it, um, I welcome them to come join us, come join the movement and and come go vegan with us this year.
0: I'm I'm excited about this. And uh, you've been kind of rolling this out here on the month uh, during the month of february for black mm-hmm. history month um and we're going to get into some very interesting history here <laughs> shortly uh you and i were talking before we started rolling and yeah. i i honestly wish that we were rolling tape on there because you took me to school and i'm, I'm really hoping that that that's um where yeah, we're gonna go absolutely. again here. um but uh correct me if i'm wrong uh the African-American community is actually the fastest growing mm-hmm. demographic for vegan diets.
2: That's right. You probably saw the article in, in um, a lot of your listeners and viewers as well that came out in the Washington Post just a couple of weeks ago saying that um, African-Americans are the fastest growing vegan demographic. About 8% of African-Americans are plant-based, vegan, vegetarian uh, as compared to 3% overall. Wow. Um, right. But this this number, so that's that is um, what the latest Pew study says. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a Gallup poll that was also mentioned that sh- that shows that more people of color are vegan and eating plant based mm. than um, everyone else. This is not surprising to me because of the way that I learned about veganism 33 years ago when I entered into this community.
0: Here's that history part. You <laughs> ready to go to <laughs> right, school? Here we go. Right into Here it. we go.
2: So I was, um, you know, I went to college at Amherst College in Massachusetts, and my sophomore year, a black student union brought Dick Gregory to campus, and we brought him to talk about the state of black America, and said he talked about the plate of black America and why we should go vegetarian. At that time, vegetarian was the umbrella term, right? Mm -hmm. But he meant vegan. And we didn't know that he had been vegan at that point in 1986 for about 20 years. Wow. Because of the practice of nonviolence during the Civil Rights Movement. He was a right-hand person to Dr. King, and he extended the philosophy of nonviolence to animals, right? Became vegetarian first, and then uh, in 65, and then 68, I'm sorry, and then 67 became uh, vegan. So at this point in 86, he's going around talking about veganism on college campuses, really everywhere. And uh, so that talk really rocks my world because up until that point, I really didn't know about food. I didn't know about food and its relationship to social justice, its relationship to health, um, its relationship to so many issues. And uh, I was a really unhealthy eater. Not interested in, in healthy food, despite my mother's best efforts. Yeah. So I took my my uh, sophomore year away the, the following year. I went to Kenya for the first semester. The second semester, I came back to D.C. and went to Howard. And when I was walking back and forth to school, I discovered that there was this large black vegan community right up the street from Howard. And so um, I was floored by this because, you know, this is literally in my backyard and they had the very first 100% vegan establishments in Washington D.C. in the nation's capital. Mm. Period. And there were 12 of them at that time um, in the 80s. And in fact, at Howard University, there was a vegan food truck that had been there since at least the 1970s.
0: Oh, hold on. I thought food trucks were a relatively new phenomenon mm-hmm. as well.
2: He had been there since the 70s. He okay. was yeah. And and what's also interesting is that. Um, It wasn't just that it was this community by Howard, but there were other um, health food stores and community gardens, right, of folks who were um, promoting veganism and who were themselves vegan and vegetarian. So there was... um, so, a vegetarian that was started by the African Hebrew Israelites, and they had up until recently the largest vegan chain of restaurants in the world—14 locations. Mm. Um, there were uh, Nation of Islam bakeries. There were folks who were part of the Civil Rights Movement, the Black Liberation Movement, who tied social justice, health, and religion to the food that they ate. So they were starting their own establishments because they didn't exist in the city. So um, this is this is the community that I learned how to be vegan and vegetarian in, right? So after this lecture from Dick Gregory, I came home and, you know, I'm immersing myself and my mother too in this community and we're learning how to cook, how to make it delicious, affordable, the history of it. Um, And so I say that because, you know, it's important to start with the positive and the affirmative Mm -hmm. and to say that there has always, there has always been a, a big, river of black folks who have been pioneering veganism and plant-based food in the movement next to this wider ocean of black folks who are omnivores and and you know hopefully will be eating um healthier food with as part of this movement but um we've always done it and we've always been leaders and it's important to talk about that and for people to know that's that's i i enter veganism through black culture right right And so um, this is just this is just something that is not that is um, I share all the time because people assume that it's not that cake, that Mm. that that it's a white thing, you know, um, or that this is uh, this is we do these things in opposition to or in reaction to when, in fact, we're pioneers in this. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Um, A lot of people would say that the same thing can be said of the music industry and so much of a part of the entertainment (laughs) industry. Of course. I mean, yeah, just Google Elvis and African-American and you'll be like astounded by the things that you see. Yeah. Um, But I want to ask you about the point in time when you're being immersed in this because Mm – you know in any culture recipes are just passed down by generation yeah. to generation mm-hmm. were you concerned that the foods that you had grown up uh, eating like were no longer going to be on the menu or were you learning ways to eat these things now just mm-hmm. using plant-based ingredients
2: exactly it was this, so like soul vegetarian is the example as the largest vegan chain of restaurants in the world they were taking soul food and making it vegan right um so I was a college student at the time, so I really wasn't cooking for myself Mm -hmm. at that point. I was, what, 19, 20 years old? So I'm learning, and this is years before the Internet, so I was physically going to cooking classes. I was going to lectures and learning how to do these things and, um, you know, learning where to shop in D.C. So... My learning to, you know, becoming an adult and learning how to cook for myself, how to provide for myself, I fortunately went vegan at that time. So my learning how to do that for myself was through veganism. Now, I'm, I'm. My mother um, was divorced, and I have two older sisters. So we, I can't remember ever not cooking. So right. I already knew how to cook right, omnivore right. food. But now, for myself, getting ready to be out on my own as an adult, I'm learning how to do it in a vegan way. So I have been vegan all of my adult life. Gotcha. So this is, you know, my, my foundation for you, the last yeah. 33 years. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, let me ask you this: So you're in that community. At, at what point did you then start to discover, you know, these other pockets of veganism, mm-hmm. and you know, get involved in, in other aspects? You know,
2: right? Yeah. Because
0: it, now clearly, it's not just limited to this little sect in, in DC anymore.
2: Right. Exactly. And so, um, I mean, you know, back then it was, it, it was, it was, you know, that community had such an influence on the city. That when there were political rallies, you know, whatever the war du jour was, and there was organization going going on, political rallies and things like that, um, there was always vegan food served. When there were festivals, you know, D.C. is known for free festivals, yes, you know, yes. in the summer, spring and summer. There were always vegan food trucks like you did not have to bring your food. You wow. know what I mean? So it, it so it permeated the entire city um even though it was not a big community compared to the rest of the city you know the influence was felt all over um so when i um when i went back to uh when i went back to to college you know i went back the next year for my senior year um that's a whole other story that i write about in my I will into
0: that
2: having to be vegan on my own and cook for myself but when i came back to dc um I had a whole other profession as a museum director, but during my spare time, I was teaching cooking classes, vegan cooking classes, going around talking. And I started to look for other organizations that were doing this work. So I discovered the Vegetarian Society of D.C. Um, later on in the 90s, Compassion Over Killing. You know, I, I worked here at PCRM as a public policy liaison for uh, two years ninety nine to two thousand before I went to grad school, um, so yes, I definitely was um, was led to search, seek out other organizations and become involved and, and active okay yeah
0: we 've got the foundation yeah all right so we 've got that now let 's talk about the why okay. because this is this is super important yeah um, what I know from my time as a reporter and what has since been solidified. Um, In my time now with the Physicians Committee is that in D.C., where the city is broken out into what they call eight different wards, Mm -hmm. the health disparities Mm -hmm. between the most affluent wards Mm -hmm. and the most underserved, underprivileged wards is staggering. I Mm -hmm. mean, Mm jaw-dropping. You're talking about rates of colon cancer, diabetes, like you name it. They are through the roof, you know, say in Ward 8. Mm -hmm. But then you come over here Mm -hmm. and it's like... Almost non-existent.
2: Right. Because it's affluence. You know, this is this system, the food system, um, like every other system, you know, that you can that you can name is uh, is based on white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. And the people who are most exploited by that are people of color, particularly black people, particularly black women. Right. So you have impoverishment. Um, You have few resources. So wherever there is, you know, when it, when there is a system like that, food is going to be affected, just like any other system, the education system, the political system, um, housing. It's the same with food. And so Ward 8, you have the highest uh, group of folks who have, uh, who are low income, mm-hmm. right? And so that is going to determine um, what is available to them in terms of what they can buy and what is available available to them to buy, right? Whether their grocery store is there. Um, I mean, it's by design. It's not, there's no surprise. But I also want to say that, um, you know, this community that I was talking about at, near Howard in Northwest, that was a low-income black community mm-hmm. in Northwest. Mm-hmm. So we have been doing these things in low-income black communities. But um, also, Fast food companies in the 1970s began to target African American cities, African American communities and urban areas. Um, before that, African Americans whose um, uh, were just you know we were our, our, we were from you know coming up from the south, right? So we were um, after enslavement, Growing our own food and we actually were eating more plants more fruits and vegetables than uh, white folks were up through the 1960s even when we moved into cities we brought this kind of agrarian style food with us my mother for example grew up in Camden um, South Carolina. She says that they rarely had meat during the week. It was a Sunday thing, you know. They didn't have a lot of money and this is this was common, right? They grew their own vegetables, they had wild berries. Her aunt had an orchard. I mean, uh fruits and vegetables, grains were the primary foods that folks ate because for economic reasons, right? Right, right. So, um When we started to, when we came to the cities in these low income urban areas, this is when we were targeted in the 70s by fast food. I mean, it was by design that they put these um, fast food places in these low income places rather rather than in the suburbs. So we were targeted. And, you know, this is the result of that. You know, I mean, it's also personal choice, of course. But, you know, we have to understand the systems that are in place that make this so.
0: Right. Well, Okay, let's have a let's have a real discussion, Uh, because sitting over here as a white man who has never considered himself to be a white supremacist by any stretch of the (laughs) imagination. It's
2: the system.
0: Well, okay. well, help me understand the system. Help the listeners understand the system, because when you say that, like I'm over here, I'm like feeling both a little bit confused and embarrassed by it. Like, what am I doing to contribute to this that I have no idea I'm Mm. even doing? That's like, help, whole, help me understand here a little bit. Can you break that down I can't simply? break
2: that down in, like, five seconds. <laughs> that's a whole other... I mean, you know, understanding... You understand that this system is set up for white men, and, and that's how this country was established, right? Correct. What has changed? How has that changed? Anything that people of color primarily... And, and you know, with me talking about black folks, anything that we have gotten, any laws and amendments we had to fight for, Right. Touché, right, for sure. It does. It did not change on its own, and this is, and the, and the, this is. I guess I can't explain it in five seconds. <laughs> I,
0: I know, right? You, you just can't. You just can't. I mean, this is this is but a whole this, other episode for a yeah. whole other podcast, really. Yeah,
2: but I mean, so th- that's the deal,
0: right? Yeah. Um, food deserts are a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I know is that food deserts exist in primarily underserved mm-hmm. areas. Um, I was just out in Arizona and you want to talk about poverty i mean yeah. it, it is poverty the likes of which you you could not believe on some of these native american reservations True. I, I mean yes. I, I mean i was told stories of people having to organize bus trips just to go to a grocery store mm-hmm. i mean they have these these areas that are the sizes of of an entire state mm-hmm. but there are only two or three regular grocery mm-hmm. stores
3: and so, it's tragic. It's right, tragic.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So this isn't the African American community, but again, you're talking about a community that. You say it was set that's up to Im- fail. It's exactly. the same daggone thing. Mm-hmm. So they're forced to shop out of gas stations and convenience stores, mm-hmm. which, you know, you're looking at healthy foods. I mean, those are in short demand or short supply out that's there. That's right. But there's plenty of junk food to, to go around. Mm-hmm. That's for sure.
2: Right. I mean, this is, th- this is why this is an issue of impoverishment as well, you right. know, across the board in this country. And it is – it's tragic. It should not be. It right. should not – this should not exist. And, um, you know, it's important to talk about that impoverishment and, and all of the communities affected by that. It's important to talk about the workers who work in factory farms who are exploited. It's important to talk about people who are immigrants, who are picking the food that we eat, the fruits and vegetables that we're promoting. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's a there's a whole system in place, um, a food system that needs to be changed, that needs to be improved um so there there are definitely layers to this right yeah
0: well let's let's bring it back to the African American community here okay. um let's talk specifically uh, about you know the, the traditional diet uh the soul food diet uh, of the African American community higher in calories uh, a lot of um fried food correct
2: it's a, it's occasion food okay it's occasion uh, food so like whatever so like Um, Soul food is, you know, is African-American cuisine, great cuisine, right? Right, right. Uh, uh, Innovative cuisine. Um, And it is something that is eaten during celebrations mainly. So family reunions, graduations, birthdays, weddings, funerals, all of that. But, you know, folks are not having macaroni and cheese and fried chicken and uh, biscuits and you know cornbread and collard greens and potato salad every day. This is not everyday food. You okay. know what I'm saying? So that this is this is occasion food, right, right? right? Like every other culture has occasion food, right? And they turn out all the stops. And it's gonna in those when you have that, it's gonna be higher in fat, salt, and sugar, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's going to taste good.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no it is. There's no doubt about that. No question.
2: As, you know, and then but then there's also, you know, the fact that we're we are addicted to fat, salt and sugar. Right. So yeah. that's why it tastes good, too. But um, so you so, yes, it's a traditional cuisine, but it's not everyday cuisine. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: OK, L- let's talk about then. So the obesity rate. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it's it's an epidemic across the board is the obesity rate higher in absolutely the african,
2: okay absolutely and you know a lot of people yes it is definitely higher and and particularly um among african aware, american women and i actually i mean obesity is you know is a, a medical term but i actually just say unhealthy weight because just because you're thin doesn't mean you're healthy doesn't mean you don't have high blood pressure or diabetes or you know
0: Great point. heart
2: disease so i talk about the healthiness the healthfulness of the weight. Um, so when it comes to unhealthy weight, um, African American uh, women have the worst uh, experiences with that. Fifty mm-hmm. percent um, obese, eighty percent overweight, and so that contributes t- directly to higher rates of chronic disease, particularly diabetes.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. and is that. You know, the byproduct I'm assuming the the obesity rate is the byproduct of the food de- deserts the social injustices we've been talking yeah, about the yeah. lack of access to quality foods all, all of,
2: that. of that and and comfort you know, personal choices, but also uh, comfort eating, you know, dealing with there's there's stress, right there's we're dealing with a lot of uh, stress from a lot of um a lot of reasons, societal reasons, personal reasons, family reasons um and Uh, You know, eating is a is a source of comfort for everyone across the board. But Mm -hmm. I think also this society has um, promoted this notion of overweight black women as acceptable. Right. Um, And um, and then so there is so there is that issue. And then there is, you know, um, there is this notion of uh, thickness. Right. And curviness. In African American communities, which is great, um, but when it becomes unhealthy, then that's an issue, right? right. Yeah, uh,
0: I guess my my question then would become: I, I mean, is this acceptance and pushing of a larger frame being? more accepted because i i don't want to fat shame anybody being a former being a former fat guy i know what fat shaming is Mm. and it sucks and it is one of the most hurtful things you will ever experience Mm -hmm. i don't think that that's necessarily limited to one race at this point because you, you see larger and larger clothes and workout gear being targeted toward you know the the overweight people in this country and why wouldn't they do that when now we're at a point where Two-thirds of this country is overweight. And among the African-American community, specifically African-American women, that number is even higher.
2: Exactly. Um, but this is an example of that these issues are exacerbated right right right. um and so yes we are definitely as a society dealing with unhealthy weight overweight obesity and it is much worse in in uh, in african-american communities and black women in particular um and there's also the something called oxidative stress right okay and oxidative stress as i'm sure you know it's can be caused by external and internal factors, and oh, yeah. it's basically premature resting of the cells, right? So um, you can be stressed from um, things that you're eating. You can also be stressed from um, things that you're dealing with. It, you ca- it can be racism. It can be sexism. It can be classism. It can be, you know, anything that's chronic and systematic mm-hmm. and systemic, mm-hmm. right, um, that can that can wear you down. Right, right. And we know um, that that is one of the, co- one of the reasons that African-American women have higher mortality, infant mortality rates. Um, and it, and it plays, it's a factor in food as well. Um, it's a factor in um, what we eat. And it's a fact, it's a factor in um, how much we eat to deal with these issues. Cause you know, uh, Overeating is not seen as uh, problematic as doing other things, right? Right. Because everybody overeats. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If for whatever reason food is just, it's viewed differently. Yeah. Even though it can be just as detrimental as any exactly. out there.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Any out there. Yeah. So you know there are a lot of reasons. Yeah. There are, and I'm and I'm glad that we're talking about it. There are lots of reasons, but the but the for me the bottom line is most. Deaths, most most disability and death among African Americans, um, our diet re- can be prevented with a healthy diet. Gotcha. Right? right. And so that is the part that we can take back and we can take back control of of it all. People are resisting and organizing and always have been. Right on. Um, and while doing that, we must take care of ourselves and we must eat healthier. It's crucial.
0: Well, let's let's talk about eating healthier. How, you know, 8 uh, percent, you said, of mm-hmm. African-Americans are now vegetarian or vegan. Mm-hmm. Astounding number.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Is there this openness and acceptance of it? Or are a lot of people still just kind of like they have their wall up and they're going to eat the way that they're going to eat and they don't want to hear anything about this? Ooh, plant based this, plant based that. <laughs> like, well, you
2: oh. know, you experience that. It's some oh, of yeah. both. But I think that I mean it's still you know it's still not a huge number, right? Right. Um, but part of part of it is um, younger people. You know, th- the fastest growth is among young people, and I understand that. I started, you know, I was introduced to it when I was in college. Mm-hmm. So. Um, my mother starting in her fifties is kind of a rarity, right? Even though people do, most folks are 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 younger um, who are going vegan, who are interested in it, and also because of environmental reasons, mm-hmm. we didn't have. I think the um, most of us were not aware of the effects between climate change and diet and factory farming until more recently. You're right. Yeah, and yeah. so that is a big driver. Now, right, right, right. Right, and and rightfully so. Um. So, yeah, I think that, you know, while 8 is, percent is much larger than 3 percent, it's still a small number. Um, and but I'm, I'm glad to see that it's growing. You yeah. Know? Yeah, for sure.
0: And so what do you do to kind of begin that conversation, mm-hmm. you know, introduce it to even if it's not a young black woman, just mm-hmm. a black woman? Maybe it's another woman in her 50s, you know, that's right. Maybe it's like your mom now. <laughs> You admit it, but you. I'm telling you, like if you told me you were 35, I'd be like, no question about. Well, it.
2: We well, we can where my work is done. leave. but how
0: do you begin the, that conversation?
2: I, you know what, I I try to meet folks where I just have a conversation, meet folks where they are, right? So I, um, because it's my profession, I'm just asking folks, are you interested in eating more plant based foods? No. Are you interested in eating healthier and being healthier? Here is what you can do. Right, Right. Right. Because nobody wants to be unhealthy. I have yet to meet a mom who wants to raise unhealthy children. I mean, you just you know what I mean? Yeah. They just there are there are just lots of reasons why they're not doing it. And so I just want to know what those reasons are and say, you know, well, based on that, Here is what I have to suggest based on my experience teaching this, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So is it um, that we find out what's available in your community? Is it that we find out um, what's available at at your kid's school? Is it that we find out, you know, how we can carve out more time for you to cook? Right. Is it um, that you need more recipes? Is it that you have no, uh, that you had no idea that food was related to cooking? you know, certain chronic diseases. So we, so we talk about information. I mean, we talk about where you can read more about this or, or watch videos about this or documentaries, read books. So, you know, there are different approaches. Um, and I've, I've taken all of these approaches to helping people over the last 30 years. You know, I was really self-righteous and an evangelist when I, I mean, I still am an evangelist, but (laughs) I was really self-righteous when I started and I had to learn that, um, Everyone may not do this. Right. And there are things that I do that, um, you know, I, I could, there are things that I could improve and be better at and um, there are levels to veganism as well. Some right. people eat healthier than others. For sure. And you just have to, I don't know, over time I just realized that, you know, um, I can do what I can and then let the rest go.
0: That's it. Yeah. That's it. I know that if you get in somebody's face and you've really, you know, thump it at them, you know, they're going to, they're probably going to shut you down. Yeah. You know, they're going to yeah. miss the point because they're going to be like, mm, too aggressive. Don't want any part of that, you know? Right. Exactly. So exactly. Me- mellow out over time. I think yeah. another important thing here, and I think that this is actually kind of also at the heart of your program is, is tapping into the why. Yeah. The you know, why of that. And I think really. That's people, the
2: foundation.
0: Right. People can come up with like, everybody's why is going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But at the base of that why is always love love of yourself, mm-hmm. love of your family. And if you tap mm-hmm. into that, just like you're saying, you don't know of any mother who doesn't want their children to be healthy. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful why.
2: It's a powerful why. Why is the foundation. You must be strong in your why. Because when you make your transition, there are going to be so many obstacles. You're going to take two steps forward, one step back. But if you ha- if you know, if you're solid in why you're doing it, you can get there. You just keep going. You know, you just keep going. But it's interesting. I, I agree that it's about self-love um, and uh, self-liberation. But the what I don't, and so I do say that, and I actually write about that in Ageless Vegan as one of the steps to transition is to know that you're worth it. Mm. But it doesn't mean that if you don't do it, you don't have self-worth, right? For and sure. you don't have self-love. It just means that if there is an inkling in you to do it when folks around you are not doing it, listen to that because you are worth that.
0: Right on. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I agree. Um, I can't wrap this up without talking about uh, this program here. So we did the soft launch. You did the soft launch here starting this month in February. How's it been going so far? It's been
2: going great. We've been at it for about a week and a half, and we already have 1,300 people who have signed up, which is fabulous. So – yeah, so the official, so we soft launched it um, last week. The official launch will be in May because oh. um, that's when the book, any Greens Necessary, came out 10 years ago. Um, so just commemorative of that. And also it gives us a window of of a few months to get 10,000 folks to sign up. So folks sign up <laughs>
0: <laughs> and share it share yes, it with your friends share it, share it with, it with your family it's a it's a pretty cool program and a 21 day program what all is in right. there Right
2: so what's going to happen is starting in May we're going to have live online 21 day fresh starts so basically we're going to go vegan together for 21 days so folks are going to so the, the first week will all be preparation and then the uh, second and third weeks the, f- the the next 14 days they will have a meal plan done for you grocery shopping list vegan recipes nutrition tips and it will be a download pdf and will be and I'll have cooking videos that we'll be sharing um, on our um facebook group page i 'll have q and a sessions um, with everybody who signed up, so whether we have five thousand ten thousand or you know twenty thousand we 're all going to do it yeah. together and it'll and that will happen every twenty one days through the end of the year so my and it 's the same program so even if you 've done it in May. You can do it again in June. You can keep going with us and we're just going to be bringing more and more people on board to do it. And, um, you know, the goal is just as a as a as a community of folks to just go vegan together and, and try to get as many people to try it and do it. Right. Right. For as long, you know. As much as possible,
0: if money's tight, is this it's free? It's
2: absolutely free, right? Right. And so the
0: grocery shopping list and like all of that, Mm -hmm. like a lot of people think, oh, vegan diet, man, I'm going to be spending all my paycheck and then some. Oh
2: yes, thank you, Chuck. It's so all of the there is no processed food in this. So you so you will be using whole grains that you can get in bulk. You will be using um, whole grain ingredients to make all of these recipes. Mm -hmm. So it will be much cheaper than uh getting processed food good yeah good but you know i I mean you are going to be spending money on groceries and you're going to be getting fresh fruit or, or fresh fruits and vegetables or frozen um and if you're able to make the investment um in the time and your health and you know the cooking of it it will be well worth it.
0: And that's that's an important part, though, because if you do make a slight more investment in the food that you're eating, you might see your medical bills come that's down. That's
2: exactly right.
0: And so it's it's going mm-hmm. to kind of cancel each other out, or you actually might wind up a little bit more ahead down the line. Right. A point that I want to raise is that um, Lee Crosby, and I, you know her from upstairs, one of mm-hmm. our, our nutritionists, yeah. she and I went downstairs to the boutique grocery store in this building. Uh-huh. And we were able to load up a full grocery cart, enough for two people to eat for an entire week
2: Ah. for $44
0: and change.
2: Really? Yes. That's fantastic. Yes. That's yes. Fa- So was it like you were getting grains and beans? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. like,
0: uh, like you were saying, like mm-hmm. things in bulk, you know, yep. um, and then uh, canned goods, frozen things, yep. which also keep the cost down. Absolutely. Um, but then, you and know, are still
2: fine. Right. Yeah. And, and then
0: also things that people still love, you know, oatmeal, peanut butter, yep. staples like that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so you're not going to go hungry. And this is good food. It's not like you're going to be eating grass.
2: No, it's really, listen, we wouldn't be doing this if it didn't taste good, Test right? It testify
0: <laughs> it's
2: got to be good yes, so ma'am. yes we're gonna have some delicious recipes all the recipes will be based from my two books and yeah it will be, it will be really good eating yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I,
0: I, that's such an important point for you know uh, just to get out there I would love to be able to to tell people that you can do this without breaking the bank and whether yes. you know you're 50 and struggling to eat and make ends meet or you're a college student and you don't have two pennies to pinch together mm-hmm. right now you can still absolutely 100 percent do this yes. and make it work
2: you can absolutely do it and we're very and we're we're about making it affordable delicious and convenient
0: there you go mm-hmm. hold on i can't let you go real quick do you have a favorite recipe that's part of this program ah uh- we don't. We don't have to say the ingredients. Recipe. I know it's There's, always a tough question, right? It okay, sounds I'm so simple. Give you
2: two. Okay. The uh, the very first one is the pecan pie, but it's a dessert. Get it? And, <laughs> uh, the pecan pie, the or the chocolate dream pie. Um, but food, food, I would say probably the um spicy basil eggplant dish is one of my favorites it has basil and and dates and cashews almond butter sauce um over brown rice it's fabulous
0: hold up Mm -hmm. run that one by me one more time please
2: spicy basil eggplant Mm -hmm. that is probably my favorite and it only takes like 15 minutes it's super easy but so delicious
0: tracy yeah you're making my mouth water
2: yeah i should have brought you some
0: i know you should have right (laughs) That is awfully inconsiderate of you. It is. Next
2: time you have to have me back. I'll bring you something.
0: I oh, you promise. got it. You got a deal. Um, do that. I, I seriously would love to have you back and, and at least get an update on how yeah. uh, how things are going. Uh, so we're at thirteen hundred at the moment, um, but I think this thing is going to take off. You know, just I like do a too. rocket. Like I do this too. is such a Thank such you. a cool cool thing. Uh, the website. If people want to get involved, what is it?
2: 10,000blackveganwomen.com. The number 10,000blackveganwomen.com.
0: All right, so I'm going to put that out on all of my social media. I know it's all over yours already, uh, but we're going to get that out there. We're going to get you up to uh, 10,000. That's just phenomenal. Thank I you. think that this is such a, such a great concept. Thank you so very much for coming on today.
2: Thank you for having me, Chuck. Always a pleasure.
0: I said when that conversation first aired that it was uncomfortable at points, because talks like that can be difficult, but we must all be willing to listen, because otherwise we may never move forward. Let's turn our attention now to a man who is inspiring thousands in his home of New York. He has defined the odds that have been stacked against him and charting his own course for health. After being diagnosed with diabetes, Eric Adams was losing his eyesight and nerve damage was setting in. But rather than let fate run its course, he began to plot his own course for health. At a time when African Americans are being diagnosed with diabetes at alarming rates, Eric was able to fully reverse his diagnosis by overhauling his eating habits and changing his lifestyle. Inspiration? That would be an understatement. He became president of the borough of Brooklyn in the city of New York and his health success is helping to pave the path for countless others to follow in his footsteps and lead a longer and healthier life. continuing here on the exam room podcast brought to you by the physicians committee with the weight loss champion chuck carroll i am so excited about my next guest when i first started doing this show people told me all the time there's this gentleman in new york who you have to talk to he has this incredible story little did i know he also happened to be the president of the borough of brooklyn and with that we welcome to the show brooklyn borough president eric adams thank you so much for joining us
3: Thank you very much, Chuck. It's good being on your show.
0: It is an absolute thrill and a pleasure. And I want to talk to you, let's start uh, a little bit uh, by talking about your story. Um, you were diagnosed also with type 2 diabetes, and it that's something that, that really develops over time because of a, of a person's diet. So I'm curious, my first question to you is this. Talk to me a little bit about what the foods were that you were brought up eating. I mean, were you like so many of us that were raised on, you know, really high fat fried foods and, you know, sugary cereals and things of that nature?
3: Yes, we all are. And it doesn't matter if you are Italian and you have spaghetti and meat sauce or if you are African-American and you you have meatloaf or if you are Mexican and you have ground ground beef enchiladas, it's all the same but just different ways of preparing it. And so the high sugar, the high salt, the high fat, the high oil has always been the foundation of the American diet. And the desire and the need to consume meat is that you feel almost un-American if you did not consume meat, people look at you funny and say, you know, what do you mean you don't eat meat? You're one of those. And so <laughs> it was it was extremely challenging uh, to come to the realization that the diet that we called American was really the diet that was killing us.
0: Now, you, you talk about kind of that un-American way of thinking to not eat meat um Was that kind of what you also experienced because you spent so many years also in law enforcement? And I'm kind of wondering, like, what kind of foods were available at the station there and were cookouts and barbecues and things of that nature pretty commonplace for for officers as well?
3: And that's a great question, because law enforcement is a very uh, macho occupation where you you know you want to you want to do manly things as they say it, and if you go out to the cook- cookouts, the barbecues, the celebrations, it's about who has the best steak, who has the best hot dog and sausages, and uh, all those foods that are really meat centered around the entire meal is you're looking at the consumption of meat, and it's really a mind-changer, a paradigm shift when you all of a sudden have to break away from those traditional norms that is really just un- is unhealthy.
0: So we buy in, I mean, so many of us buy into that, that macho culture, and it, it does, it catches up with us as we age. And so I'm curious, What brought you to the doctor that day, if you don't mind talking about this, what brought you to the doctor that day that you were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes?
3: Well, it was in 2016, and I was in Dubai, and I was receiving some pains in my stomach. I thought it was actually colon cancer, because I just lost a good friend to colon cancer. And I committed that when I returned to the city, I was going to go to my internist. And he subsequently referred me to, uh, to receive a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. And at the same time, I started to experience a serious eye loss in my left eye, vision loss in my left eye, and I was also losing vision in my right eye. And I, I was having tingling in my hands and feet. I learned that that was nerve damage, and I lost feeling in my right thigh. So I was in pretty bad shape. I looked fine physically, but I needed to take an internal selfie because my body was breaking down. (laughs) And so when I came out of sedation, the doctor stated that, Eric, you have an ulcer, but uh, your colon is fine. But your real problem is, is your diabetes. Your A1C is a 17. The indicator of saying how high your blood sugar level is, and he stated that we're going to have to put you on insulin right away and we're going to have to give you three medications to get your diabetes under control.
0: Uh, talk to me about the emotions that you felt. I mean, that is that is a lot to digest. Uh, and uh, I mean, was there any sense of relief there, seeing as though you thought initially you were going to be diagnosed with colon cancer?
3: And that's 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 that's, that's very uh fascinating because you are correct. There was an in, in XL uh, that it wasn't colon cancer. And there was almost this first round of acceptance of, okay, diabetes. You know, mom has diabetes. My sister has diabetes. You know, okay, you're supposed to get it. It runs in the family. So, they, so there was this sort of acceptance that, you know, no big thing, diabetes. But then as I went and started to read on it and finding out that diabetes was the number one cause of blindness, the number one cause of non limb amputation, a leading cause of heart disease, and so many other injuries and and byproducts to diabetes, I started to say, wait a minute, this is this is this is a problem. And I just decided that I needed to do some more research to find out is this something that is manageable is this something i have to live with and it just did not sit right with me of for the rest of my life as the doctor said you will be taking medicine for the rest of your life you will be injecting yourself with insulin for the rest of your life those words just didn't just did not settle with me
0: and you uh- Went to another doctor uh, after some time had passed, the same doctor, I believe, that Bill Clinton uh, visited. And he introduced you to the concept of a plant-based diet. Is that correct?
3: Yes. Actually, I went to five doctors here in the city. And, you know, as the ball president, I have a great relationship with all my hospitals. So they referred me to the specialists. And what was very revealing in the meetings, not one doctor was able to give me the true reason that I was diabetic. Some said it was hereditary. Others said that you eat too much carbohydrates. Another said you eat too much sugar. I just just got all of these different descriptions. And I just refused to believe what I was hearing. And what led me to say something is wrong is that everybody was giving me different reasons for being diabetic. Mm-hmm. Now, they were able to give me the symptoms, but no one was able to tell me why. When I went into their office and said, why am I diabetic? The, the reasons were changing based on which office I was in. And so I just went online and did something scientific. I Googled reversing <laughs> diabetes. And all of this information came up. And Dr. Esselton was one of the people he's he treated Bill Clinton for his his heart disease and I started reading his information and cross-referencing what I was reading I came across a book by Dr. Gregor how not to die and Dr. Barnard reversing diabetes and started reading and and it was just mind-boggling and so I called uh, Dr. Esselton and Told him who I was and wanted to know if he would see me as a patient. And he told me to fly down to see him. And I did just that. And he told me that, Eric, if you change your lifestyle and do a plant-based diet, you could reverse your diabetes. And I was all in. So before you were doing this
0: research and you were getting mixed messages from all of these different doctors, I would imagine that that was very frustrating for you because you couldn't get that straight answer here are these people who had spent years in medical school and have years of experience as a doctor and they're still not able to give you a firm answer to that question of why how frustrating was that to keep getting those mixed messages
3: it it was it was extremely frustrating and just the thought of just walking out of the offices one at a time and sitting on the park bench and just trying to figure this out. So you can't get any clear answers. Is, is this the script that you follow in life? You, 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 you get older, you reach your, your mid-50s, you get diabetes, and you just start that spiral down downhill. I, I never figured a quote from Ronald Reagan once when he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He says, I now start the dark journey to the end of my life. And I just ran through my head that, you know, is this it? Is this a script? And I just refused to surrender without a good fight. And that is why I said, hey, you, you're a former police officer. You're not a doctor, but you know how to do investigations and you know how to read. And so why not use those skills from your law enforcement to find out what are the answers to this question that no one else can seem to give you?
0: Mm, the health detective. I like that. We're going to have to add that to your <laughs> business card. <laughs> so you you fly down and you see Dr. Esselstein. Talk to me about that initial consultation about that, that meeting. I would imagine that in terms uh, of the emotional scale, this would have been a complete 180 uh, compared to the day that you were told that you actually had diabetes.
3: So, tr- so true. He, his presentation was thorough. He was very clear. The evidence was remarkable because as I stated, I come from an entire adult life of going where the evidence leads you. Mm -hmm. And his evidence was, I was able to cross reference. I was able to see exactly. He was unwavering in his position. There were also some former patients who were there who shared their story and how their lives were turned around. I said, this guy's on to something and I'm going to, if anything, I'm not going to surrender without a good fight.
0: So when somebody makes that decision to radically change their diet, in your case, to a plant based diet, even though, you know, some of the foods that you've been eating your entire life are quite literally starting to kill you. You know, there's still that little part of us that's like, man, I'm really going to miss, you know, Uh, barbecue. I don't know how in the world I'm going to live without that pork barbecue sandwich. Did you have some of those? Like, were you dreading having to give up certain foods?
3: Without a doubt, without a doubt. And particularly the first two weeks were extremely challenging because I am clear that our diets, sugar, fat, salt, salt, and oil is no different than heroin or alcohol Mm -hmm. or any other addictive qualities. We are addicted to food. And, you know, you go to a person addicted to heroin and say, listen, you need to stop doing that because it's killing you. They would tell you, I would if I could. This is what addiction is. It's not merely saying, okay, I'm going to stop. Some people are able to do things cold turkey, but the overwhelming number of human beings have to fight addiction. And oftentimes, even when you get off that item that you are addicted, addicted to, it's a constant fight. There's a reason that NAAA and other A's say one day at a time because they know it's a constant struggle. Every time an alcoholic walks past a bar or a liquor store, he has to get his composure and fight against it. And that's how that's how it was for me those first two weeks that every time I saw that steak on the table, that, that donut, that... Those other items that I was addicted to, it was a struggle until I made up my mind that I wanted to heal and I'm not going to allow the addiction of that poison to destroy me.
0: I'm really glad that you brought up the addiction angle. This is something that I talk about frequently on the show. Um, when I weighed 420 pounds, that was the heaviest that I weighed. I'm, I'm now 265 pounds lighter. Um, I would, I struggled so mightily to get off of fast food, Taco Bell in particular. Um, And during those times when I would try to just diet, I would go a few days and and the Taco Bell would leave my system, but I would get angry. And at night I would get cold sweats and um, I would just feel sick. I would feel nauseous. And and the anger and the frustration built up to, to a point where one night I actually punched my fist through a wall because I wasn't able to get that food fix that my brain was hooked on. I was physically addicted at that point. Did you experience any sort of withdrawal like that?
3: I was, I was, I enjoyed, uh, sweets and sugar and fast food. And, and, and I always state that you I had to always put the myth to rest that wondered if cops like donuts and it's not a myth, it's the truth. I would eat any kind of donut, doesn't matter if it was jelly, glaze, it didn't matter. And that addiction of waking up in the middle of the night, I used to love in, eating late Now I love waking up in the middle of the night and eating, you know, some fried chicken or something like that and having to change those patterns. You you get a level of anxiety. And I always state that if you take someone addicted to heroin, put them in one room and in the next room side by side, you take someone addicted to American fast food and and junk food and wean them both off. I challenge people to identify who was hooked on heroin, and who was hooked on the food. Mm. It's the same withdrawals that you go through. You start thinking about it, dreaming about it. It's challenging until you you get out of the moment of of being just you know detoxed
0: yep so talk to me about how differently you felt after that two-week transition that you were referencing so you go through this two-week period uh where you start the diet and then you come out on the other side are you already starting to feel a lot better are some of those symptoms you were experiencing starting to reverse themselves at that point well three
3: weeks after going whole, food plant-based, my eyesight cleared up. Three months after, my nerve damage in my hands and feet went away. My cholesterol went from a 217 to a 57. My A1C went from the 17 down to a 5.7. My PSA went to a 1.1. The ulcer went away all of those symptoms my thigh nerve damage went away it was just a complete reversal i became a new man my energy level changed i dropped 35 pounds my body just became this new machine and i guess it said finally you're feeding me and not poisoning me
0: and you and you have not looked back since huh i i
3: I am i am never going back good man and I, I, I look at myself and I say, who was that guy? How could I have just lived such a careless life? And I put all of my energy in learning how to move up through the police department from a sergeant to a lieutenant to a captain. I studied hard to obtain my associates, my bachelor's and my master's. And I ran hard to become you know, a state senator and the borough president, I spend more, more time on those things outside my body and I ignore the thing that I'm around all the time. And that is my body. I will never do that to my body again. I owe my body more and I will never treat it in the manner which I treated it for 55 years.
0: Now, I read an article where the author described your office as kind of a mini grocery store, like uh, there's health food everywhere in there. So I'm curious, if you're not eating steaks now and the donuts have have long since vanished, what is the uh, Eric Adams bodega, quote unquote, looking like today?
3: (laughs) Well, I I have reintroduced myself to food, real food and not fake food and food like substances. (laughs) And I identify the pharmacy as being F A R m-a-c-y instead of p-h-a-r every time i walk inside the supermarket i'm making a decision that am i going to feed myself or poison myself and i bring those good foods around me i, I love uh, all sorts of beans from lentils to lime beans pinto beans they're a great source of protein i i enjoy making uh, burgers uh, out of my beans as well i enjoy Spices, people really don't understand that not only are spices great to make food taste good, but spices also are extremely healthy. And each Sunday I look up a different spice and I drill down on it to learn more about it, of all of the health benefits of it, from the turmeric and pepper combination to cinnamon to nutmeg and many of the other spices that we come in in contact with that are really great for our body, and I keep uh, steel cut oatmeal. I enjoy that a lot. Not only do I eat it for breakfast, but sometimes I would make a nice steel cut oatmeal dish for dinner. While 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 I would chop up onions, steel cut oatmeal, kale, some nice seasoning, mushrooms, and it is an amazing meal to eat late at night or in the evening. I enjoy pasta made out of lentils or black beans. There's some great pasta and you can't tell the difference between pasta that's made out of processed flour. It tastes just as good if not better. And so it is a combination of all of those different foods that you'll find around me all the time. I am never hungry, You you should not be hungry. So this is not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. And you should feel fulfilled. Whenever you're hungry, you should eat.
0: I know that you have to run. So I, I, I want to make sure that we get an opportunity to talk about some of the programs that you've uh, initiated up in, in Brooklyn as well, because you're not just, you know, keeping this message to yourself, you're sharing it now with your constituents up there. Talk to me a little bit about the the programs that you're trying to implement up there.
3: Well, the, the greatest program I did was with my mother. She was diabetic for 15 years. She was on insulin for seven years. She started a whole food plant-based diet. And she in two months, she was off her insulin. The doctor took off her insulin. And so that program means the most to me. But we're also doing things in our schools. We're pushing to get processed meat out of our schools so our children won't continue to poison themselves We have one of the largest school systems in the country. And every day we we serve over 900,000 meals to our children that are really toxic in nature. The WHO has clearly indicated that processed meat is a type one carcinogen. We should not be serving this to our children. We're also looking at how do we get our hospitals on board. We have several of our hospitals who are now signing up to do meatless Mondays and they're slowly transitioning into cutting down their serving of meat. We want to get them where the St. Barbara hospital system in California or school system in California is and not serving processed meat. We believe that needs to be done here. But my, my most exciting venture that we're doing is with Bellevue Hospital, which is one of the oldest hospitals in America. We finally got the city to agree to open a whole food plant-based clinic. So that when a person comes in with a chronic disease, instead of giving them medicine that's going to treat their symptoms, they're now going to use this new terminology in New York in medicine. They're going to reverse their diseases. And that is amazing because if we can do it here in New York, we can do it throughout the entire country.
0: That sounds like the future of medicine to me. Obviously, I'm biased, but that just sounds amazing.
3: Yes, I, I agree.
0: <laughs> Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President, thank you so very much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure.
3: I thank you. Be well.
0: I hope that today's show has brought a little bit of understanding light and more inspiration to those who feel that change is out of reach. Because let me tell you something, just speaking on behalf of myself here, okay, change is never out of reach. It may not be easy, but we as a society can move mountains and as individuals we can undergo the most magnificent metamorphosis that one could possibly ever imagine. We are given one life to live, and it is up to us to live that life to the fullest, to the fairest, and to the healthiest. On behalf of everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, keep the conversation going, and keep it plant-based.